You're listening to audio from St. Luke Church in Lexington, Kentucky. If you'd like to learn more or donate to this ministry, please check out our website at stlukelex.com. Well, we start a new teaching series today called Jesus' Peeps, and uh, we are going to take a look at Mark chapter 5. I'm going to read, and if you want to, you can join along if you like. I might need some help from my friends in the back. Here we go. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes, and when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, But he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid." And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them about how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Well, you know, we call them outcasts, and we find them all throughout the scriptures. Whether you want to talk about demon-possessed people, or sinners, or tax collectors, or prostitutes, or lepers, or paralytics, they're all over the scriptures. Our culture today is kind of interesting. We have this affinity for outcasts, the rebel without a cause, the rage against the machine. But in the biblical world, to be honest, it just was really not a good place to be or to live. Because if you're an outcast, if you're an outsider, nobody eats with you. Uh, people walk down the other side of the road when you walk by. They'll not trade or do business with you. And in a lot of circumstances, uh, the way things would unfold is that if you were outcasted to a certain degree, Your family would literally hold your funeral even though you're alive and well in the city living just a few blocks away. So who wants to be an outcast now? Yeah, it's a tough deal to be an outcast, especially in the biblical world. So who's happy today? There we go. 
Now, the heart of Israel's culture were the laws of Moses, uh, not just uh, the way that we think about the laws of Moses. We tend to think of them as Ten Commandments, yes? We go, Ten Commandments, laws of Moses, there we go. Well, there's 613 commands. And so the laws of Moses are 613 commands. And here's the thing. If you, don't, if you do follow the laws of Moses, the promise is you'll have union with God, relationship with God. And if you break the laws of Moses, especially in 36 particular laws, you end up being cut off from your people. Uh, the Hebrew word is karet. The worst penalty we tend to think of as being death. No. In the ancient world, the worst was to be an outcast, to be cut off from your people, for your family to hold your funeral before you ever died because you were unredeemable. It's unbelievable to think of such a thing, but that's exactly how it worked. You were cut off, unredeemable, and dead to everybody. Here's the thing that you can't miss, though. Throughout the witness of the New Testament, it's these folks, the outcasts, the sinners, tax collectors, prostitutes, demon-possessed, lepers, paralytics, what have you, these are the folks who are very much Jesus' peeps. He's always running after them, healing, forgiving, caring for, interacting, reaching out, touching, sharing, uh, drinking utensils like uh, the woman at the well. These are Jesus' people. And so that's where we see Jesus' encounter with the demon-possessed man. It happens in a region called the Decapolis. And the Decapolis is uh, 10 cities. It's located just on the east side of the Jordan. It's an interesting place to go, especially in Jesus' day, because you've got groups of Gentiles and Jewish folks who are living there interacting with one another on a certain level. And the main reason is for economic reasons. It was a very wealthy area. In fact, so wealthy that the government, the Roman government, let them print their own money. You know you're making bucks for somebody when you can print your own money. Are you with me? Yeah. So I thought about, you know, what does the Decapolis really equate to in today's terms? And we have a city like that in the United States of America. It's called Las Vegas. Have you ever been there? Yeah, Las Vegas. I mean, you, walk, you go down the strip and there's all the glitz and glam and the promises that all the world has to share with you. And yet the fascinating thing is you go to the outskirts of town and it's a very different Las Vegas. There's poverty and homelessness and addiction, drugs, violence. Not everything that you see that promises you you'll have everything you could ever possibly want. And I suspect the same was true in the region of the Decapolis. Ugly, homelessness, and demoniacs. That's where we meet him, on the outskirts, an outcast. In fact, we find out a few facts about him from Mark chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. The scripture reads this, They came to the other side of the sea in the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs. Now, if you were to open up the book of Leviticus, which I know all of you spend your devotional time reading, you would find in Leviticus that this man's already broken at least three laws, if not more. He's living amongst dead people. He's cutting himself uh, with stones and, and living among the tombs. So here is a guy who is an unclean outcast. You would not want to have any sort of connection with him. You would walk by 
on the other side of the road. And the reason was simply this. In Jesus' day, the rabbis taught very clearly that your external purity was very much connected to your internal purity. That the things that you touched or tasted, the people that you came into contact with and the way that you associated with them, the folks that you, you ate with on a day-to-day basis, if you ate with or ate from the kitchens of unclean people, if you touched folks who had any kind of sores or, or leprosy or whatever it might be, well, all of a sudden, you were unclean. And so for this demon-possessed man who's cutting himself and living amongst the dead, well... That's not somebody you really wanted to have any kind of interaction with whatsoever. In fact, it was so bad, we're told in the passage today, that the the townspeople literally chained him. And it's sort of ironic that at the pinnacle of civilization, at least in ancient Israel, the, the part of the Roman Empire, you've got a town that literally chains one of its own there in the cave with the hopes that he won't escape won't bother anybody, and most importantly, won't interrupt the economy. Because if you want to know what's really going on, the ex-accountant will tell you, follow the money. Now, of course, this never, ever happens today. We would never do such a thing to tell people that if you interact with certain kind of folks or, you know, you do certain kinds of things that you're going to hell. And that seems to be the ultimate trump card. It's always a quick jump to you're going to hell. And it happens on both sides of the fence. One group calls the other intolerant and hateful, and the other group, well, you're going to hell. And I think the thing that we've got to really ask ourselves is this, what are we really fighting about? And here's what I would submit to you this morning. The thing that we're really fighting about is who determines and defines the outcast. As long as it's someone else and it's not me, that's fantastic. I love it. But as soon as you point that my way, mm, now we've got a big, big problem. And interestingly enough, the laws of Israel were really meant to define the boundaries of the life of a people. If you lived them, you lived in community not only with God, but your brothers and sisters around you. If you broke them, yes, it meant exclusion from the people. But what we tend to have overlooked is the fact that there were mechanisms to bring people back into the community of God. This is what the sacrificial system was all about. If you commit a sin, you make a sacrifice. In fact, that's why on Resurrection Day, while the women at the tomb were really happy and the apostles would later be really happy, you know who in all of creation rejoiced the most? Small animals because they weren't going to be sacrificed anymore. People, that's funny. What's wrong with you this morning? The point I want to make is this, that there was always a mechanism to bring people back into the community of God. And our reading of the Old Testament has largely neglected that fact. More often than not, people will say, well, I love reading the Gospels, but that Old Testament mess, I don't ever mess with that. And here's the thing, if that's where you're at, I love you, brother, sister, but it's also heresy. You can't have a New Testament without an Old Testament. That's like taking a story and starting it in the middle and forgetting about all that's ever happened to that point. 
And really, if you read the Old Testament scriptures, you don't find a bunch of legalistic sacrifices and stuff where you go, ay, 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 what you find is very much a story of grace. If you break the rules, God has a way back in. And whether it's the sacrifice of an animal or waiting and washing or whatever it might be, making a certain kind of restitution, God and the community of God very much want you back. Here's the recipe. Perhaps it would do us all some good to read the Old Testament a bit more because as much as folks tend to claim it's intolerant, I might gently submit to you this morning the problem is we're largely ignorant of what the scriptures read. Instead, our culture tends to gravitate largely towards polar extremes, opting for legalism with no grace or inclusivity with no boundaries. And it's no wonder that people are struggling because they don't fit anywhere. When there are no boundaries, there's no life of a community to belong to. And when the community is so narrowly defined that nobody can be a part of it, well, really what you've got is one person making the rules. It's hard to belong where there's no boundaries. And it's also hard to belong when the boundaries are so tightly defined, no one could ever live up to them. For all of our talk of open hearts, doors, and minds, really, the call has always been this, to love people well and to call them higher. You have to have both, friends. Now, the beautiful part of this story is that a man who is possessed by demons comes from the edge of town, from the outskirts, the outcast, and falls down on his knees, and he says this, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the Most High God? Swear you won't torment me. Don't send us out of the region. Send us into the pigs. And, you know, when you read this, I imagine you probably thought the same things that I did. Like, where is the head rotation of 360 degrees and the pea green soup coming out at that moment? Are you with me? But really what we find out is something deeper that's happening in this passage, and we can't overlook it. I kept thinking about this. Why are there 2,000 pigs living in a community in which Jewish people would be all around because they don't like pigs. In fact, it's the most unclean of animals. And yet it's tied to this great wealth in the Decapolis, so wealthy, in fact, they can print their own money. What is it that's really going on here? Well, when the legion of demons, five to 6,000 of them to be precise, are cast into the 2,000 pigs, that day somebody lost big time on the pork belly's future market. Are you know what I'm talking about? Absolutely. And the real sin that's revealed is not so much the man who was outcast and full of demons, but on the group of people who came and begged Jesus, please leave the area. You're killing our economy. And that's the way that it works, isn't it? As long as it doesn't affect me, then we're good. The minute you step on my toes or my pork belly future share, well, then we've got a problem. It's interesting that the word beg is used both by the demoniac and by the crowds. One to be freed and the other revealing their lack 
of true freedom that comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, a rabbi once said this, our souls were bound to the 613 commandments in the Old Testament scriptures. And the beautiful part about it was this, when you break one of the 613 commandments, there were still 612 to hold you closely to God. I love this. I think it's quite brilliant. I, I wonder, though, if our approach tends to be the moment you've broken one of the strands, well, all of them have fallen apart and nothing could be further from the truth. You see, the reality is we're all created in God's image. God's formed and shaped every single one of us. And the good news of the grace of Jesus Christ, which runs Old Testament and new from creation to new creation is this. No one, no one is beyond redemption. No one's beyond redemption insofar as they meet God on God's terms. And God can redeem anyone. In this age of social media and partisan politics, empty philosophies, fake religions, and constantly changing opinions, we all too often make the assumption that when one person cuts one cord, that's the end of it. That's not how it works. Not how it works at all. And there are others who would say that um, you can just water down the gospel. Make it whatever you want it to be. Make it on your own terms. The gospel, however, without repentance and faith is no gospel at all. Really what we have instead of 613 strands are the two strong arms of Jesus. This is who binds us with God. And if you want a gospel on your terms, friends, you end up living in the Decapolis. Much like a people who printed their own money, really the thing that you've done is you've printed your own copy of the scriptures. And your God is no one other than the person you wake up looking at in the mirror the next morning. The full gospel is this. Anyone and everyone can be redeemed. And redemption comes on God's terms and not ours. That's grace, real grace. Not cheap grace, not somebody else's grace, but God's grace. And I want you to hear this lesson at the very beginning of this teaching series. It's simple, and yet it grips you. We spend far too much time defining who outcasts are for a simple reason. Our insecurity says it's better them than it is us. And you can't do it, friends, because we all need Jesus, including this guy right here. And what I love about the Bible is it tells me this. I'm just as broken and in need of redemption as the next guy. Nobody can boast or brag, says the book of Ephesians. We all need God's grace. And the beauty is God's grace meets us wherever we're at insofar as we're willing to repent and to believe and to receive all that he has in store for us. And that's what I want us to hold in tension today because it's an important day for the life of our church. Later today, uh, your clergy people, as well as uh, some of our laity, are going to be headed to Owensboro, Kentucky, to vote. And it'll be the final step of our disaffiliation process uh, to leave the United Methodist Church. I want to be really, really clear about a couple of things as today unfolds and as we move forward into a new season of life and ministry here at St. Luke. Everybody, and I mean everybody, is welcome here at St. Luke. 
always has been, and always will be. And let's not forget and hold this intention with redemption comes not on our terms, but on Jesus' terms. In the days to come, you're going to recognize there are a few United Methodist churches that will still be United Methodist churches in this town. When we speak of their churches and their clergy people, we're going to do so with charity. I don't want to hear anything about saying a negative word about somebody else's church or their pastor. Some of those pastors are my friends, and they will continue to be my friends in the days to come. Some of those church folks are your friends, and they should continue to be your friends in the days to come. And we hold those things in tension because we all need to be redeemed, and redemption comes in and only through Christ alone. That's the gospel. Is now, always has been, and it will be forever. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for grace. It's so abundant and it's so simple. And doggone it, Lord, we just complicate it so much. And so thanks for this witness of scripture from Mark chapter 5, which makes it really simple that we all need redemption. In some way, we've all been cast out. And yet the beauty is that by your grace, you invite us in. Help us not forget, God, it's on your terms and not ours. And this morning, before we come to this communion table, we long to be free, just as that man was in Scripture, from whatever it is that's binding us to the things of this world which would destroy us. And so, Lord, hear our silent prayers of confession as we confess our sins to you now.